Welcome to Bollywood is for Lovers, part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. I'm Erin Fraser. And I'm Ed Bose. This week, we're going to celebrate Noir Vember with two classic films that feature a moody noir aesthetic. First up, Dil Kumar recounts his tragic past life and how he lost his one true love, Vijanti Mala, in Bimal Roy's Madhumati from 1958. Then Manoj Kumar may or may not be haunted by a beautiful ghost played by Sadhana in Raj Khosla's Wokanti from 1964. Before we begin, we would like to respectfully acknowledge that we record this podcast on Treaty 6 territory, traditional lands of First Nations and Métis people. We made it through the beginning. <laughs> this was a tough one. Was it? A lot of ins, a lot of outs. This is a tough case, Maud. <laughs> okay, for sure. Uh, Matt, we are back with another noir November episode. Yeah, we're retroactively calling a bunch of other ones noir November episodes. This is like the fourth one. This is not retroactive. We've we've done this uh, over you know the past couple years. Yeah. Um, so our past episodes include you know an episode about Sri Ram Raghavan where. Unfortunately, we weren't able to see Ek Hasina Thi. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, we own it now, so we should watch it at some point. Also, it's on Netflix now. Yeah. Just despite us. Yep. We have two ways to watch it. But um, November has historically been a tough one for us to put together for some reason. Yes. Yes. We did an episode on some Annuary Cash App films, uh, so Black Friday and No Smoking. We did. One I still di- really like No Smoking. I've been thinking about that with all the Stephen King adaptations yeah. lately. I think that's underrated. Yeah. I think it's underseen is probably the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did an episode on Femme Fatales in Bollywood, and our first November episode was on uh, some Devanon films, uh, some classic films, and we had our friend Neil Barnholden on to discuss those. Yeah. So that was a good time. So the, this, is a, this is a tradition on the podcast that every November we have kind of a noir-themed or noir-adjacent episode because... November on film Twitter is known as Noirvember, and it's when everyone binges uh, a lot of film noir and neo-noir. And it's the perfect time for it, because it's it's dark out. It's too dark. It's so dark. Yeah, we just had... Days stu- are getting so short. We just had stupid daylight saving time, or, or it stopped, whatever thing happened. Yeah. And now it's, you know, pitch black at four o'clock in the afternoon here. It's not. I know our southern listeners will not quite understand it, but it's like being in 30 days of night up here. Yeah, it's not quite 4 o'clock. It, the sun is setting at around 5. Yeah. But, yeah. It's and real the, vampire hours, though. They'd love it. Yeah, the closer we get to uh, Christmas, uh, the shorter the days get. And so it, it, it eventually happens where uh, <laughs> the sun will rise and set while I'm at work. Yeah. So I'll go to work in the dark, and I'll come home and work in the dark. And yeah, I work there, in the dark. You know, there should be more noir movies set in Edmonton. Yeah. I mean, there was Insomnia. But or that in was, winter. But that was the other way around was Insomnia, where it was, like, light all the time. Because that's the other thing that happens in summertime. Yeah. Up north, you get, like, summer all day long. Or midsummer, actually. Yeah. That was in the nighttime, and it was, you know, mm-hmm. light. So, yeah, there should be more Nordic noirs, I guess. Yeah. That aren't Harry Hole adventures. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, so November kind of ends up being the perfect time to hole up inside and watch a lot of like moody 40s and 50s films. And try not to fall asleep. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we have covered on some of our past episodes what film noir is, um, but we'll just kind of give a brief overview of our understanding of film noir. So it's a, it wasn't a conscious 
movement in Hollywood. It was coined by French film critics after the fact, where they saw some aesthetic and narrative similarities um, within a collection of Hollywood films. These are usually cheap movies to be pictures. Yes. Uh, so the kind of prime years for noir were 1940 to 1958, roughly. That's the Hollywood ones, yeah. Yeah, the Hollywood ones. And and the, I, I do think that that era of Hollywood films and a couple of British films are really the only movies you can truly call film noir. You wouldn't call these ones that we're talking about on our podcast today film noir? I think they have noir aesthetics and like conventions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I wouldn't call them straight up film noir. No, hmm. no, because they're not as connected to Greg Toland and you know low key lighting and all that stuff mm-hmm. and expressionism. I like you. To... Don't think that that kind of oh, there's transla- certainly influence. You don't think that that translated to Indian movies? I think they're certainly influenced by those things, but I don't think they themselves can be called pure film noir. Okay, if you're going with specifically pure Hollywood cheap B movie, yeah, sure. Because these two movies seem actually pretty um, high quality. Yeah. Like, Madhumadi seemed like actually a pretty prestigious production, it so, seems like. I mean, films like The Third Man and The Maltese Falcon, like, we do talk about the cheap quality of, of noir a lot, but they weren't all made on, like, a shoestring budget. Like, The Maltese Falcon's a pretty expensive movie for its time. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, what we should mention is that... Uh, after 58, once people actually realize yeah. what they'd done, then you start getting neo-noir, which is noir that knows it's noir. Yeah, and I use uh, 58 as the end point because that's when Touch of Evil comes out, which is kind of like the last one. Yeah, and Touch of Evil uh, in Will Conti, I was reminded of Touch of Evil, actually. We'll get into that in mm-hmm. a bit. Uh, so an important thing to keep in mind is that noir, film noir, is a style and not a genre. I've heard mode. Yeah, a mode, an aesthetic. Because neo-noir is a style. Mm-hmm. I would say because the first noir directors didn't actually know yeah. that they were making, creating this new thing. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of an agglomeration of hard-boiled stories and cheap aesthetics. Mm-hmm. And, Influenced by and, German Expressionism. Yeah, and then German Expressionism for the hard, harsh lighting Yeah, and uh, Venetian blinds. Yeah, and a lot of narratives that focus on um, crime stories, mm-hmm. um, a lot of uh, hapless detectives who get caught up in uh, a scheme that they don't understand and done in by uh, a, an alluring woman who yeah. turns out to be their downfall. And a lot of it is you know, subconsciously stemming from men coming back from World War II mm-hmm. or being in World War II at the time. And, you know, women having more power in the workplace. I wonder if maybe um, India's, you know, different sort of involvement into, in the war had a different flavor. Yeah. Because well, they were still a British colony. You had, like, all kinds of horrible yeah. stuff happening. But they weren't, you know, it, it was it was a different thing for them. Some people were sympathetic, right? Well, yeah. and, and Invaded by the Japanese. You have all kinds of stuff happening. Yeah. And culturally, like, it would be impossible for... Um, a different culture to react to um, kind of a larger kind of so like social movement in the same way <laughs> like it mm-hmm. just because a the, the, the social movement would, is completely different the culture is completely different so obviously the films are different but we do see um, some clear I think kind of noir aesthetics in these in these two films that we're going to discuss 
But yeah, I think it's important to understand that it's not it's not a genre. No. You know, and and while we think of noir as being primarily, you know, kind of detective and and, and crime stories, it doesn't have to be. I think, think of the man who wasn't there, which is a neo noir, admittedly, mm-hmm. but it's about a barber. Or I was thinking of Mildred <clears throat> Pierce. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of this this famous Joan Crawford film, uh, which is very much about. Uh, I mean, it has a crime element to it, but the driving force of that film is not... Um, it's a woman who runs a restaurant. Yeah, it's not the criminal aspect. It's about it's a relationship about a woman and her daughter. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of a, a pretty famous noir. So... Yeah, James M. Cain novel, one mm-hmm. of the canonical authors. Mm-hmm. He also wrote The Postman Always Rings Twice, which one of my favorites. We're big fans of noir. Uh, we both studied it in university, and we watch a lot of noir whenever we find time because we're drenched in darkness as a city <laughs> yes the shadows grow longer and mingle one of our former professors uh barbara churchill always argued that uh edmonton was like the perfect noir city and well yeah it's i don't disagree with her brutalism in the buildings <laughs> and then you know darkness on the streets yes there should be more noir set here i don't know why i guess there aren't that many movies set here to begin with yeah I most mean, of them are at the mall your classic noirs are mostly set in California because that's where they were making movies. Mm-hmm. And also, like, L.A. with its seedy underbelly certainly lends itself. In San Francisco noir. for the early stuff. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. That's, that's film noir, and that's kind of what Noir Vember is about. And as you mentioned, neo-noir is a conscious use of this mode, style, aesthetics. Yeah, I think apart from our episode on Dev Anand, everything else we've talked about that's noir adjacent on this podcast has been neo noir. Yeah, yeah, and and that's where I think you see your Sri Ram Raghavans, your Anurag Kashyaps. Yeah, and I think a lot of people understand noir through neo noir. Mm-hmm. Neo noir has kind of become the lens with which we recognize noir because it's self-aware in a way that noir never was you bring up the man who wasn't there i remember when i was in university and we watched the maltese falcon the number like all the student all my fellow students saying oh it's like it's like the cohen brothers i was like well well no the cohen brothers is like this but yeah but things like um you know tracer bullet calvin's uh uh, alter ego in calvin and hobbs who's a hard-boiled detective Or um, something like Batman the Animated Series, which is super noir looking. These are all very self-conscious. Yeah, and despite the fact that noir has been kind of memed and referenced to death, it's never lost its style. It's never lost its cool. (laughs) Because it was never designed that way. Yeah. It was kind of a happy accident. Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite? Favorite? Uh, Touch of Evil is pretty great. Yeah. Uh, you can't beat that opening segment with the bomb in the tr- in the car for like ten minutes and the unbroken shot. Mm-hmm. That's a tough one to beat. Uh, but uh, Asphalt Jungle, Love very good. Asphalt Jungle. Uh, is it High Sierra, the kind of outdoor one that Mahumadi actually reminded me of a little bit? Uh, yeah, with um, Bogart and Ida Lupino. Yeah, yeah. What about you? Uh, I love Gilda. Because mm-hmm. uh, I'm a big Rita Hayworth fan. I also really love Out of the Past. Uh, yeah, that's which... what we named the episode after. <laughs> yeah. Oh, or are we? Do- are we? Yeah, we are. Okay. Uh, both of these films kind of reminded me of Out of the Past to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, also, I mean, Double Indemnity is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gun Crazy. Yeah. Love Gun Crazy. Lady from Shanghai. Like, they're just the hits. 
keep on rolling, you know? Like, they're just, <laughs> there's so many good ones. Yeah, all the Chandler adaptations, mm-hmm. Long Goodbye, even though it's a neo Kiss Me Deadly. Kiss Me Deadly, very Love good. Love Kiss Me Deadly. Kiss yeah. Me Deadly is kind of one of the weird ones. Yeah, it kind of foreshadows, like, Cyber Noir. Southland Tales. <laughs> all kinds of weird stuff comes out of that one. It's one of the only ones that has the kind of the the 50s written all over it, I'd say. Yeah. Like, a lot of them are based on the 40s stuff and the mm-hmm. war, but um, Kiss Me Deadly and, you know, Fears of Atomic uh, yeah. Holocaust, that's, that's a 50s problem. Yeah. Or a post-1945 problem. So I apologize if we're repeating anything that we've said in our previous... I don't apologize <laughs> for anything. In our previous episodes about noir, but uh, I thought it bared repeating... Uh, as it's been a while since we, we since we talked about classic noir. almost a year. <laughs> uh, so I listeners, let us know what's your favorite noir. Oh or yeah, neo noir. I'd love to know people's fa- everyone's favorite noir. And if there's any more, and how uh, you and I can't even settle on one each. Like, and if there's any more Hindi ones that you think we should watch, I mean, I think we've watched quite a few. Yeah, yeah, we're unfortunately not as much of the old ones because they're harder to find. But like the neo noir, I think we've got a lot of it in. Yeah, unfortunately, as you mentioned, when <laughs> every year when we try and do this episode, we run into problems. This year, not so much. Well, some things became available that weren't available before. Yeah. So we want to give a shout out to um, the blog Mr. and Mrs. 55, which is a blog that covers uh, classic Bollywood cinema. Their post on defining film noir in Hindi cinema kind of served as the guide that we used for developing this episode. The first time with Neil, too. I remember reading that. Uh, yes, we did yeah. read it at the time, but it didn't end up informing what we did with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but we've chosen these two films because um, they discuss them in that article. So look at it. It's in the show notes. Yes, they also discuss Mahal, Bisalbad, and Cora. Cora is like a Rebecca remake, hmm. which I would have loved to have seen. Uh, we can't find those three films at all. Bisalbad, we... Had a line on briefly, but then, like, the file broke somehow? There are no subtitles. We right, Feel Bad right. is on Eros Now. There are no subtitles. I've contacted this, uh, them about this. They've responded. They continue to not at- upload the subtitles. Yeah. So I would still love to see these three films because they sound really interesting. But we settled on these two because they were the ones that were available, which is kind of how... Our episodes, whenever we try and watch anything earlier than the 1980s goes. Yeah. You know, like, it's just like, what can we get our hands on? So. Yeah. Um, but these two films are. They're both pretty good, so that helped. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think that we can get into Madhumati now. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so Madhumati comes out in 1958, directed by Bimal Roy. This is the first Bimal Roy film we're discussing on the podcast. Yeah, I've read a lot about him, but yeah. uh, I don't think we've. This is the first one I've seen as well, I think. It's the second one I've seen. Um, I've also seen Do Big Azaman, which uh, I studied in university. Um, and it's a lot more social realist than yeah. than this film is. It's about a, a family that moves to the city uh, in hopes of, you know, kind of like Grapes of Wrathy, right? Like in mm-hmm. hopes of kind of improving their lives because, you know, out in the country in the fields... You know, there's no money, there are no jobs, they come to the city, and it turns out that the city <laughs> is, 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 does not provide kind of the expectations that they expect, and things just get worse. It's like Sunrise. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not at all like Sunrise. Hey, they go to the city and they realize that, uh, you know, maybe you shouldn't murder your wife. <laughs> okay. Well, here it is kind of the the patriarch of the family. It comes like a rickshaw driver. And then it it's also kind of like Bicycle Thief, I guess. Like, things mm. just... Things just turn from bad to worse. It's it's yeah. a good film, though it has been, uh, oh god, like eight or nine years since I saw it. Yeah, it'd be great too. But he's coming at it from a socialist perspective, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, there, I think there's some of that in Mahamadi as yeah. well. And he's Bengali, so so he has famously also has a Devasas adaptation, right? Which yeah, also features, features Dilip Kumar and Vijayatamala. Yeah, uh, so this movie features Dilip Kumar, Vijayatamala. Pran and uh, one of our favorites, Johnny Walker. Love Johnny Walker. Anytime that guy shows up, you're in for a good time. And our first. He's like the anti Johnny Lever. Our first November episode was the very first time we ever saw Johnny Walker. Yeah, and he did some fun stuff with his hat. Yeah. And he sang a song. Yeah, those were. We discussed Bazi and CID in, in that episode. Those were great movies. Yeah. So, Mahamadi was the highest grossing Indian film in 1958, and it won nine Filmfare Awards. Holy cow. Yeah. It won the most Filmfare Awards of any film until, like, DDLJ. Wow. Yeah. So it won Best Film, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Supporting Actor, and also won a National Film Award for Best Feature Film in Hindi. Mm-hmm. Notably, it won Best Playback Singer Female, uh, and that was Lata Mangeshkar's first right, Award. Right, yeah. And who did we notice in the editing bay for that one? Rishikesh Mukherjee, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it won Best Editing, Best Cinematographer. Yeah. Uh, and it had a... Big influence on subsequent reincarnation films and romance movies, especially Om Shanti Om. Yeah. Which the last 20 minutes of this um, are, like, yeah, replicated pretty easily in yeah. Om Shanti Om. Yeah. Not easily. Pretty closely. Yeah. It's also had influence on, you know, on things like DDLJ. Um, it's a pretty, I mean, it's a pretty big and important film. For some reason, I kept thinking, like, Dilip Kumar was giving off Shah Rukh Khan vibes. Mm-hmm. Although I guess I should say that Shah Rukh Khan is giving up Dilip Kumar vibes. There you go. See? We are doing exactly, you know, what people do with, like, neo-noir and noir. Where yeah. We understand classic Bollywood through our understanding of contemporary Bollywood. I think there's something about his eyes and his nose that lit in this movie. He kind of looks like Shah Rukh Khan. And the mountain setting and the way that he was wearing his, like, sweater. Yeah, he had his sweater his knotted around his shoulders. It's it's kind of exactly like those um, scenes that they're using to mock Shah Rukh Khan at the Film for Awards in Om Shanti Om. Yeah. yeah. So Dil Kumar plays a double role in this movie. He, in the opening sequence, is a guy who is in a real hurry to get somewhere. He's being driven around in a car with his friend. And he has to pull off the road because there's a bunch of boulders in the road. It's a rainy night. Very windy. And the driver says he's going to go into the village and get some guys to help clear the road. But he suggests they go up to this abandoned bungalow up the up the hill. So him and his friend go there. And uh, Kumar, is, he feels like he's been here before. Mm-hmm. Uh, somehow. Some sort of mystical transference. And then all at once it hits him. You know, in a past life, he did live here. And something horrible happened. Mm-hmm. He remembers what happened. And then he sits down over the course of the night and tells his friend the story. So in his prior life, uh, Dilkumar again is hired to kind of manage a sort of logging operation, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not, they don't really go into this a lot, but there's like a rich guy who owns this bungalow who has a sort of logging operation that the townsfolk 
take care of, and then uh, Dil Kumar's character sort of runs the place. Mm-hmm. Um, he meets various uh, local color, uh, including Johnny Walker as a guy named Sharandas, who's his sort of drunk, lovable assistant, <laughs> which is fun. And he also meets uh, Vijantabala, who she's a beauty in, in the village who he falls for, yeah, as you would. She's like a, a native girl or a ruler girl. I'm putting... Yeah. A tribal girl. I'm putting like tribal, air yeah. quotes. Tribal is what they usually say in the movies, though. Yeah. And her father is the king of the region, mm-hmm. so um, he holds a lot of sway in the village. And over the course of a fairly long hour, uh, they fall in love with each other. And the owner of the um, logging operation, the rich guy, you know, I, I was a little bit confused by his motives, honestly. But he essentially just notices that his employees found a girlfriend and he gets jealous, basically. Well, she's beautiful. She is beautiful. And he sees her with him and just sort of like, I must have it. Mm-hmm. Um, so he contrives a plan for her to get kidnapped all the way to his mansion while Dib Kamara's off on business somewhere. And something horrible happens. And I'm not going to say what, because, you know, this movie's 61 years old. I don't want to spoil it for anybody. <laughs> but uh, bad things happen to the people in the past, and then the people in the future kind of try and uh, get the resurrection wheel going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those that haven't seen the 61-year-old film that are interested in it, we watched it on Shimmeru, uh, where the English subtitles were decent. Yeah. Sometimes they were better than others. There was apparently two Shimmeru files, too. I didn't look at the other one. Oh, okay. No, neither did I. Um, so Shimmeru on YouTube, which, um, as far as we can tell, is legally uploaded. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, the film was not in great shape. Um, mm, yeah. Lots of Lots of scratches on it, and the sound was wildly um, inconsistent. Yeah, we bemoan the lack of proper restoration for Indian films so many times, and we will continue because you and I, we love watching movies, you know, from the 1920s and 30s and 40s and 50s. You know, we, we don't just limit ourselves to kind of contemporary cinema. And so we've been so fortunate to see so many classic Hollywood movies that look beautiful and mm-hmm. are completely restored. You just saw a restored Metropolis in Berlin. That film is yeah. 90 years old. Uh, and so it, it's it's always frustrating. And they found it in a closet in Argentina, right? Yeah, I think it's always frustrating for us as film lovers that the, there hasn't been as much care in restoring a lot of Indian cinema. Yeah, um, you know, and this 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 film is huge. You know, it's 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 influential. Think of it's, something from Hollywood from 1958, like I don't know, would that be Rebel Without a Cause or something? Like, imagine if that was not available in a good condition. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, like this this film is beloved. It continues to be influential um and so maybe there is a better version a better restored version out there but we couldn't find one yeah if if there is it isn't available for streaming that being said um the youtube upload was not unwatchable at all no it was fine yeah (laughs) um but why is this a noir film well there are in a lot of uh, western noir films uh Actually, reincarnation is not entirely out of, off the table, no. or people playing double roles. That's fairly common. Uh, but what I think sets this movie as a film noir is definitely the visual aesthetic. Yeah. So the first uh, ten minutes of the um, you know first version of Dil Kumar um, trying to get home to see his wife and his kid. This is a very film noir shot. Um, you know, looked like night for night photography, raining all the time. 
bombing around in an old 50s car. They're, everything is really backlit in this film, mm-hmm. um, which creates a lot of stark shadows. And there's a lot of low lighting, which is pretty kind of classic to noir. It's not... Um, so, like, most noir is very urban. Mm-hmm. This is very rural, which I think is an interesting contrast to, to kind of Hollywood noir. Yeah, and... Uh, when it do, when it does go to the earlier segment uh, sidebar, I had no idea when that took place. <laughs> I was thinking early on, like, oh, maybe this is during the Raj period, and then you know, modern day Dil Kumar's in the fifties. But he kind of dresses the same. Yeah. And you know, it's not inconceivable that there could still be like a tribal king guy in the fifties. So I was guessing like nineteen ten, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, but. You know, a title card or something would have been good. Um, but uh, when you get to that uh, rural setting, what there is a lot of, and we looked it up afterwards, most of this was, like, organic to the area, but there's a lot of fog. Yeah. And the way that the sun and the fog work together sort of replicate that, you know, steaming, sewer grate look of uh, a noir film. Mm-hmm. And the sort of darker... Um, human figures running around in a light landscape is sort of like a mirror image to how they're normally shot for a city. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, that's, that's where I think most of the noir credentials of this film come from. The, the story structure as well, that kind of narrative convention of telling everything in flashback. And a doomed um, love affair. Yes. And yeah, someone talking about how he died. That's, you know, double indemnity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... At first, it might seem, you know, because it's it's a romance, mm-hmm. and it does, you know, spoiler, have ultimately have a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so on the surface, it doesn't look like it has a lot in common with, you know, kind of like yeah, your your Raymond Chandlers, um, but or your Dashiell Hammonds. But when you kind of when you really look at the aesthetics. It, it, it feels very noir. It's kind of gothic noir. Yeah, both I would say... Both of these have a spooky house on a hill. Yeah, both of these have a very kind of gothic romance vibe as well. So it's more in the camp of a... Uh, Rebecca. Yeah, Daphne du Maurier adaptation, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking... I, I was thinking about Rebecca for both of these films. Um, yeah, and just, Laura. There's also, um, in this one, a uh, painting... Actually, two paintings are fairly prominent in the story, and that's in Laura. I'll say that both of the heroes of these movies are kind of hapless dopes who wander into a situation and don't really understand the forces arrayed against them, which is pretty noir. Though, unlike in a noir film, they are... They're naive, but they're not corrupted. They're like good guys. Yeah, they are. Whereas, Uh, like, your kind of classic noir hero, air quotes around hero, they're not noble men. (laughs) No. Whereas here, I think I think you really I mean in both of these films like these are they're not they're not they're just men, straight up good but they're, dudes they're good guys who yeah. just kind of get caught up in these things. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a little bit of uh, implied mental illness in Will Conti. Yeah, uh, but that's really the only sort of um, way in which the main character isn't a stand-up guy. Yeah, there's no reason why these men need to be punished. Yeah. yeah. But that, you know, there are some noir films where it is just a hapless dope. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Uh, so what did, what did you think of the film? Like this kind of, this beloved classic. I liked it. Um, I think it spent too long on the village romance. Yeah, I agree. It, 
you know, this movie's three hours long, and about an hour of it is just a happy couple in the village with really no menacing features. Like, the the owner guy, who most of the socialist critique of the movie is kind of pointed at, he's not even there for a lot of that. Yeah. It's kind of... Um, and Roy, Roy did dial down his um, his kind of his socialist attitudes and perspectives in this film compared to some of his other work. Yeah, but it's it's essentially running around trees, yeah. you know, in the oh, classic in the classic tradition, trees. and um, lots of song and dance numbers. Uh, there's like a festival, actually a couple festivals. They, this has some great um, dance numbers. Um, Songs about getting drunk, a classic, a favorite. Yeah, I, I actually really, really enjoyed uh, a lot of the choreography in a lot of the dance numbers here because, again, it's it's, it's influenced by uh, folk dancing, and so you kind of get. You and so get, are you. <laughs> well, I I recently um, performed a folk dance number, uh, so yes, I'm certainly kind of in in that mode. I just thought there was too many of them. Is the mode. problem. Yeah. The stakes were pretty low. Like, we know that they're going to die. It's going to be bad for them because this is a reincarnation story. But I was kind of waiting for, like, a hint of menace. Yeah. And there's some kind of friction with her father and, like, the overseer guy. But it's really not enough to keep your interest until, like, things get very bad. Yeah, exactly. So when there was only 40 minutes left, we were like... There's still still so much plot to go. So it really does feel like there's kind of an hour of just running around it's in, a nice time. in the mountains. Yeah. Uh, and while I, I really liked the film, uh, I did wish it at times that it would get on with the plot. Yeah. Um, I think when it does, though, it's really good. Yeah, the last 20 minutes are great. Yeah. and uh, first 20 minutes are great, too. It's just the... Part in the middle. This is the first time we've seen Vijanta Mela. Uh, I hope we're doing a decent job on her name. Uh, she's she, lovely. She, she she's gorgeous, bubbly, like completely effervescent. Like oh, uh, she's considered by some to be kind of the first um, female superstar of Indian cinema, which is a claim that I think Sri Devi also has. I feel like Fearless Nadia has something to. Uh, <laughs> Say about that. Uh, she's in uh, Dev Das and Julie with Dibble, Dibble Kumar. Yes, yeah. a lot of other classic movies that we haven't seen uh, yet. But this is the first time we saw her, and she's she's so charming. And she's I think very cute. The film you really need to buy into her appeal and her character in order for this movie to work for you. You need to care yeah. about her. Dilla Kumar's playing classic uh, Hindi sad boy, which <laughs> he could do in his sleep. Yes, and I, I like the juxtaposition of kind of like city boy and you know con- country girl, like the yeah. kind of juxtaposition between the two. She's I, a little I do, bit country. He's a little bit rock and roll. I do think that the kind of courtship scenes between the two of them are, are beautifully done. Yeah, it's just kind of yes, yeah, some of the other stuff of like you can only run around on the mountain so long. <laughs> yes, I agree. It did. It, it did work for me in the end. Like when it finally when it finally kicks in. In that last act, it's it's one hell of a last act, and that last act is also where things start to return to the, those noir aesthetics again. So yeah, okay, that's where it kind of got very noir it, and it gets very really expressionist. Go- yeah, very and very gothic, yeah. especially because they're in kind of a, a mansion, and so you can see all the all the windows. And- it will never stop being funny to me that like a bungalow has much different connotations in India than it does here. Yeah, 
Uh, a lot of storms in both of these films as well. Constantly. Every time they look at the goddamn bungalow, it's raining. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's very important. It's, you know, that pathetic fallacy of yeah. stuff's going down. So like a Victorian novel. It's like, oh, it's be- very emotional. As soon as you go to the bungalow, can't have a good time at the bungalow. Better. So I wouldn't say that... I, I don't think that Roy was... You know, in 1958, he couldn't have been consciously influenced by noir. He could have been influenced by, you know, Western movies. Yes. It's just, 58 is like right when, what's his name, Nino, I think, the French critic, is Mm -hmm. like actually laying out like, here's a movement of films. Yeah. And I I feel like he's probably not reading Cahiers de Cinema and learning about noir that way, but he might have seen, you know, movies coming out of the West and thought, oh, that looks cool. And I don't know enough about Roy as a filmmaker to to say what his influences are. And so, if if kind of the 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 mood of this film was inspired, you know, by like Gothic art or by German expressionism or by you know American crime films, yeah, uh, I couldn't say. But it's very clear to me that that the aesthetics are there. Mm-hmm. There's something just in the air at the time. Yeah, for sure. So I think we really enjoyed this film. Yeah, and it was it a condensed was version to, would have been amazing. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's I we love going back and and engaging with with the classics, and unfortunately we don't do it enough. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to our interval. What are we listening to, Matt? So we are listening to Tiki Ricky Tiki Ricky <laughs> from Wolconti. <laughs> ATB has partnered with Boyle Street Community Services to create Four Directions Financial, a place where people living in poverty or on the street have a safe, secure place to do basic banking. Since identification is often a challenge for the homeless, they allow clients to be identified through a fingerprint or eye scan. Four Directions doesn't just bring banking to this community. It brings dignity, respect, and a sense of hope to its people. To see more of the Four Directions story, visit atb.com slash Brian. That's B-R-Y-A-N. In Wokanti, our hero, played by Manoj Kumar, takes a trip to Shimla, where he enjoys the great outdoors and all manner of wintertime activities, most notably ice skating. We here in Canada are passionate about skating, and while some of the best figure skaters and speed case skaters in the world are Canadian, ice hockey, or as we call it hockey, is easily our most celebrated national pastime. If you are also passionate about hockey, I recommend Hockey Feels, a podcast about hockey that focuses on how awesome the game of hockey is, but also how it, as the name suggests, makes hosts Stephen Schapansky and Rachel Donner feel. You can find Hockey Feels and the rest of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB member podcasts at albertapodcastnetwork.com. So that was Tiki Riki Tiki Riki from Say That Ten Times Fast. Riki Tiki Riki Tiki Riki Tiki From Wokanti, which I believe means who is she? Or who was she? Who was she? Yeah, something like that. Uh, Wokanti came out in 1964. It's directed by Raj Kosla, and it stars Manoj Kumar, Sarana, Helen, Prem Chopra, and K.N. Singh. 
It was commercially successful in, a t- in its time and won the Filmfare Award for Best Cinematographer. And well was, deserved, I think. Yes, and was nominated for Best Actress and Best Music Director. There is currently a remake in the works. I remember seeing uh, headlines about this. I think they're huh. like Ashwarya Rai or Bapasa Basu are in talks. So. Oh, that sounds like a Bapasa Basu movie. Well, she's really good in Jism. Yeah. Which is a remake of Body Heat, which itself is a remake of Double Indemnity. Yeah. So, like, clearly, like, she knows Neo Noir. You should put uh, Siddharth in this. Yeah. Like he could do, like, Doctor kind of. Malhotra? Yeah. Malhotra? Like, he could do that. He was good in Itifak. Yeah. Just yeah, kind of a noir, okay in noir movie. Yeah. Uh, so, Wokati, in kind of. My research on Bollywood Noir is the film most that, that most often receives this label of film. More noir. than Bozzy and CID? That when in my research huh. I see Wo Conti referenced the most. Okay. Um as kind of being a, a classic Bollywood film with noir aesthetics. Sure. Um, I guess it's late enough that Film noir has been codified. Yeah, so it is. So it might be a neo-noir. Yeah. Although, who knows when, you know, Raj Kosla is finding out about this. And, it, and again, it certainly feels like it shares some DNA with something like Rebecca. Yeah. Yeah. So the basic plot is uh, Manoj... Starts off right in media's res, huh? Yeah. Manoj Kumar is kind of driving home one stormy night, and a woman appears, and he offers to give her a ride home. And as soon as she enters his car... The wipers stop working, and so he he can't see anything. But she says, I can see the road. Go ahead and drive. Turn left. There's a big pothole there. He drops her off at a cemetery, and she kind of disappears into the night. There's haunting music. She has kind of a refrain that keeps coming up again. Mm-hmm. So uh, we <laughs> That's a weird thing then, that happens. He goes back home. <laughs> we then learn more about Kumar. He is a doctor. Uh his kind of, his boss played by Kan Singh, who's also a doctor. Uh, his his daughter has a big crush on him, but he is dating Seema, played by Helen. Yeah. A wonderful, bubbly Helen. She's great. Yeah. Uh, I could see why he's dating her over the uh, doctor girl. Yeah. They go out uh, for a out on the town at some like club that's celebrating doctors one night yeah it's like medical night yeah anyways and uh they dance around to to tiki riki tiki riki and it's a lot of fun extremely fun uh unfortunately helen is killed (laughs) she's injected with cyanide uh and kumar is a horrible way to die himself he's then called to a spooky mansion uh where Lo and behold, he sees the girl that he dropped off that night, and she appears to die. Yeah. Uh, His mom then plans for him to be married because, you know, obviously, he's got to get married. So she arranges his wedding, and wouldn't you believe it, the woman he gets married to looks exactly like the woman he gave a ride home that one night and the woman who died in the spooky mansion. He also didn't see her face until they got home. Yes. She was wearing a veil. Yeah, yeah, and he was not, you know, engaged. He wasn't in super excited about it. Who was gay married to? So he then starts to think that he is going crazy um, because this woman should be dead. Twice over. Twice over. Uh, this is important because he is coming into a lot of money. A relative has passed away, and he is set to uh, inherit. A lot of money. As long as his mental faculties are intact. Exactly. As long mm. as he has not inherited mm. the family illness along with the money. And yeah. so 
I think you can kind of tell that uh, maybe someone who has a he has a stake <laughs> in this inheritance is potentially messing with him. Uh, this was a really fun, potentially predictable, but fun movie. I, I loved it. It had a uh, a nightmarish quality to it that I liked because, yeah. you know, at the beginning it is a very spooky scenario of running into this girl while driving around, and then she's really cryptic and weird. And then her kind of musical refrain starts up, and then he ends up going back to the house. Mm-hmm. He ends up going back to the graveyard, and it's it's kind of repeating over and over again. Like, he looks out the window, it's raining, his, his windows are clapping together. He closes the window, and he leaves the house, he gets a call. These things just sort of keep repeating, and it's that repetition that makes it feel dreamlike. Yeah, and it has that noir thing of kind of getting... of paranoia, of feeling like... Everything is orchestrated to, to 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 be like to drive you crazy, which is what is actually happening. Mm-hmm. But that level of "Am I crazy?" or or is is ever, is the world out to get me? Mm-hmm. And the paranoia associated with that feels very noir. Yeah. So and you get the visual aesthetics are very very strong. Mm-hmm. It there's like a you know noir lighting at the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> a place that you think would be pretty brightly lit, but no, it's. <laughs> Pretty shadowy, uh, and it again has some of the, that that gothic influence that we were talking about with Madhumati, especially um, with that opening sequence of of picking up the the woman Sadana, um, who also plays uh, his bride, mm-hmm. uh, and dropping her off at the graveyard, and then also the spooky mansion that she's in. Yeah, uh, when I was reading about this one, I heard references to uh, Wilkie Collins, the woman in white. Mm-hmm. So there's some of that. You know, meeting a spooky woman out on the road. Mm-hmm. You're a young doctor. Things are looking up until someone starts messing with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of reaching back to 19th century literature as well. Mm-hmm. And it also features kind of like a painting motif because yeah. his bride, Sadana, is is always painting. And at one point, she paints the spooky mansion. Yeah. And he, you dun, know, dun, dun. <laughs> he starts to wonder, like, how do you how do you know this? Uh, there's also a sort of quasi-lovable homeless guy who gets invited into uh, Kamar's house by his mother mm-hmm. and then takes upon more and more jobs in the house. That guy was not as good as Johnny Walker in the same role Yes. Um, in uh, the prior film. And his scenes were the ones that kind of bugged me the most. Uh, we don't need this guy interacting with other helpers it's kind of lame. There's also a part where they go to Simla uh, later on. Oh, and they go ice skating. <clears throat> they go ice skating. That was kind of okay, but we also don't need the, you know, the domestic servants getting into a weird little, yeah, uh, problem. You weren't crazy about the rear projection during the ice skating. Uh, no, I kind of liked it. Okay, yeah, I liked it. Too. Yeah, I. It was kind of fun because it, it added to the unrealistic nature of the movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The artifice. So what do you think of this kind of intersection that we're seeing here with both of these films of kind of like the paranormal and noir? I think paranormal probably transfers easier than a lot of things in Western noir Mm -hmm. because, you know, Hindi movies translate to gangsters. Mm -hmm. That cycle still continuing, basically, that works really well. And it's more the directors who are like real cineasts who do attempt the noir. So, mm-hmm. like your Anya Cash Ups here, um, Shreer and Ragavans, the ones who look at movies from other cultures pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 
this kind, uh, these two movies both kind of interact with gothic horror mm-hmm. in an interesting way. And, you know, this might go on to lead to the Ramsey brothers or something. So I, it's, it's interesting to look at Will Conti and think a lot of things kind of branch off out of this. Mm-hmm. But they, didn't, they don't appear to have really stayed on the noir path. But neither did Hollywood. Yeah, for sure. It certainly kind of reminds me of um, kind of a more psychological thriller like that you have with, with, with Hitchcock. Obviously, I've mm-hmm. mentioned Rebecca a couple of times. But it, it has kind of a, a vertigo quality. And like vertigo is certainly not a noir. But it's vertigo becoming... if, if Jimmy Stewart's character like actually actively disliked the woman he was obsessed with. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. But, but yeah. It is about that, like becoming a, that that obsession with a woman, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that becoming all-consuming. Which, of course, how could he not become obsessed with her when he's maybe married to her? Yeah, I thought that this movie had some kind of. Did it win cinematography? It did. Yeah. Uh, in addition to the noir um, lighting and stuff, there was actually some pretty amazing kind of dolly shots yeah. and crane shots that, like, I'm pretty sure a lot of this was shot on sets. But it really takes advantage of, like, height and kind of moving around. You can't see this, but I'm swinging my arm around. It looks great. It's really dynamic. And the copy we watched on uh, Amazon Prime... It is uh, also on Arrows Now, though. Yeah. There were scenes that looked really restored and beautiful, and then there was other ones that looked really beat up. So I can only imagine that it had this been restored all the way through, or maybe the print they were working from, like had more worn parts and some of them were in better shape like it looked kind of amazing honestly at some points mm-hmm. then other points it's a little beat up sound was great too but i would love to see like a full restoration of this movie yeah yeah i, I agree I, especially I think, if they're making a new one i think we say that every time we watch <laughs> a movie from earlier than the 1980s we bemoan. I think this why is, isn't there a better restored version of this i think this one was a lot more you know visually uh interesting yeah than other movies of the time just because stuff like those intriguing camera moves and the lighting give it something that your more kitchen sink realism or your socialist realism movies they mm-hmm. don't have because mm-hmm. there wasn't a reason to but swinging the camera around because there's ghosts around oh, that kind of makes sense in both of these films uh that kind of the the objects of desire the the kind of female leads uh sing sing songs yeah, and that, that haunting refrains. Haunting refrains, yes. Uh, which I just kind of found, a, a, I just thought it was an interesting motif over the two of them. But also, I think, like, makes sense within kind of Bollywood conventions, but also noir conventions of just kind of this this aspect of the woman that keeps, like, drawing you in. I think of Barbara Stanwyck and, uh, and her anklet in Double Indemnity. Yeah, this doesn't quite get to sort of the weird fetishization that you get in the later Hollywood noirs, but it definitely conjures a kind of weird stew to get you into this guy's head. Yeah, and I think that's partly because, you know, I guess I'm questioning how much we should spoil about this, but with Wokon D, like, it's a setup, like, and that's, I think, part of what is kind of one of the, the interesting central mysteries at the, at the center of this film while you're watching it is it's just like, is there something going on or is it all a setup? And I think like, you, you start to be able to tell that it's a setup and, and you even called kind of how they were doing it. Well, at the half hour mark, I called my shot and, you know, I did fall for a red herring on who did it, but I figured out basically everything that was happening. Yeah, yeah. But so I felt good about that one. It, was, it wasn't quite as good as Talash, but... 
I mean, that was a that was a home run. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not going to replicate that one every time at, at bat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was... I mean, it was satisfying. Yeah. Yeah, I really I really like this movie. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'll be interested to see if a remake, I don't know, does it justice? Well, hopefully it isn't too kind of cheesy with, uh, you know, the aesthetic. Like, it, it shouldn't look like Sin City. Yeah, yeah. It'll be... It, it, it'll it be shouldn't nice. be in color, by yeah. the way. If they did it in black and white, which I don't know if I've... We're up to about 270 Hindi films I've seen. And I don't know if I've seen a modern-day Hindi film being black and white before. No, not that I can think of. It's usually, that's not on the table. No. That would be interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like, And who would do it? Someone like Kashyap or Raghavan? Yeah. Yeah. yeah actually, Maybe Matwane. I'd love to see that, actually. Kind of a throwback. Like... Rangoon. That should have been a black and white maybe. Oh yeah, that would have been that would have been great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, black and white photography is something that uh I feel like you know, it wasn't like this flip a switch transition from black and white to color like as soon mm-hmm. as we, you know, as soon as they developed color, the movie started coming out in, in color. There was still a respect for black and white photography and it was still in use um for for quite a while and it I I miss movies being in black and white, but I think if you're going to make a movie in black and white, it should be in black and white. I hated that whole Mad Max Fury Road thing, like just releasing it in black and white for the sake of, I don't know, having more versions of Mad Max Fury Road out there. Yeah. Which is a movie I quite like, but... Yeah, I think the color was actually kind of important for that movie. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of the good German, the uh, Mm -hmm. Soderbergh movie that he shot on like 40s technology. Yeah. But that was a case where... The limitations of film noir were not respected. Yeah. So you couldn't actually show, you know, it was code, production code movies. So you couldn't show sex. You couldn't have swearing. You couldn't mm-hmm. have extreme violence. And, you know, your your canny screenwriters and directors would do things to implicate that stuff. A lot of that using that darkness. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, Soderbergh just shot it straight and it wasn't quite as good. Or like The Lighthouse, which is in theaters right now. That's, I couldn't imagine that in color. I think mm-hmm. it's I think it's important that that film is in black and white. So or every guy met in movie. Yeah, it would if if you were going to make Wokanti, I agree. I would want to see, and they are remaking it. I would want to see it in black and white, but they're probably not going to do that. It should probably also be a uh, period piece. Yeah, I guess we'll see what happens. And anyways, it's it'll be exciting when it does come out that we have seen the original because usually it's the reverse yeah. <laughs> for us with Bollywood. <laughs> And maybe they'll do a dawn and change the uh, story a little bit. So wise asses like me won't be able to predict what happens because we've seen already. We still haven't watched the original It Effect, but I get the sense that that they changed it quite a bit in that remake as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we recommend both of these films. Uh, Will Conti... If you have five and a half hours to spare, (laughs) I suggest watching both of these. Will Conti did feel more uh, in the noir uh, vein than Matt Humani did. Yeah. Yeah, so it feels it. Yeah, like it's a. I feel like it's a straight up Bollywood noir for sure. Yeah. Though again, I wouldn't call it pure film noir. It's a noir <laughs> obsessives are really particular about this kind of thing. I'm very particular about these things because I am particular about labels. Labels mean things, Matt. <laughs> yeah, we live in a society. I know. <laughs> you just can't like throw around like you just you know. You can't call words a mean margarita things. a daiquiri. You words know? mean things. Words mean things. Yes. 
Uh, so I think that brings us to the end of this episode. Speaking of meaning things. We will be back in a couple of weeks uh, with a really interesting episode map. What are we going to be doing? So here's a formal experiment for us. <laughs> in a first for Bollywood for Lovers, we're actually going to be reviewing a board game. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to be pairing it with a movie on similar topics. So we're going to be looking at the GMT Games release, Gandhi, the board game about Gandhi. Which is about the decolonization of India. Yeah. So four different factions, each trying to you know, determine the fate of India. And we're going to be comparing that to the uh, Amir Khan movie, um, Rang Di Basanti, mm-hmm. which has a modern day as well as a 1940s story going on. Mm-hmm. So I think this could be an interesting comparison because how do you, how do you relate gigantic political events? Yeah. Do you, is there a way that you could maybe empathize with um, all the people involved rather than just one? And our good friend, Tori Dance, who is a board game aficionado, is uh, going to be joining us to help us review the game. Uh, and, and he's going to watch the movie as well. So we're looking forward to that. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. Uh, we've been playing the game so far, and it's complicated, but I think a useful way of learning about the history. And it's fun, too. For sure. In the meantime, Matt, how can people keep up with the show? Well, you can look us up on Twitter, at BollywoodPod. I'm there, too, at Matt underscore B-O-W-E-S. I'm at Erin E. Fraser, E-R-N-E-F-R-A-S-E-R. You can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash BollywoodIsForLovers. And go to our Tumblr, BollywoodIsForLovers.tumblr.com. If you're a fan of the show, please leave us a star rating review on Apple Podcasts. We read all of those on air. We haven't had a new one in a while, and it would be great to, to... to read one <laughs> you could you could write your review in a humphrey bogart accent and then i would try and do it sure so if that's any incentive also the, all the biffle biffle points yes they're there for the taking people while you're at all the podcasts you can subscribe to my other podcast that i do weekly with paul matwichuk um we just did an episode about <laughs> michael haneke and dr seuss one of the funniest comparisons i think you've ever done since <sighs> Il- ilsa and uh the the reader right yes yes yeah. uh so that that should be interesting if you want to hear me talk about some very difficult subject matter and some very silly subject matter yeah so uh, is the piano teacher and what was the other one uh the five thousand fingers of dr t never heard of that movie in my entire life i had never either yeah uh but i watched it and it was not as difficult as isabel Huppert. <laughs> yeah uh thanks to becca dalkey for our artwork it's good stuff. Yeah. We should have a black and white version of Tuffy. Oh, that, that would we be... That we use on episodes like this. That would be good. Just switch it out for a month. Yeah, that would be good. That would be fun. Anyway, uh, stay cool out there. <laughs>